Good morning, church family. Please open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. My name is Madeline Bryant, and I have the honor of reading our scripture today from Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20. These words come to us recorded by human hands under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they come today to us as the very word of God. So let us ready our hearts to hear together the word of our Lord from Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is John Posey. I'm the advisor of faith and work. And to really help you live out your faith uh, in the workplace. And so I'm always available to anyone that would need advice in this area. Josh did a great job a couple of weeks ago and really laid the groundwork. And then, of course, Billy did a wonderful job last, uh, last Sunday. And I'm looking forward to being with you today. The title of our message this morning is Kingdom Ambassadors in the World System. So the goal today, the goal of this lesson is three areas. Number one, to understand God's sovereign work in and through his people in the past and today. God is at work. 
And uh, he's working, he worked in the past and he's working today. To understand what God values, we must value. What God values, we must value. And what God abhors, we must abhor. We have to understand his ways. And then finally, to actively accept our call, and I mean actively accept it, as kingdom ambassadors and to expand the kingdom of God where we have influence through the agency of the Holy Spirit. So to understand God's sovereign work in the world and through his people today, God is sovereign. And he's not made, he is not made in our image, but we are made in his image. He does not have to fit into the boxes that we've created. The world, many times, you hear in movies and for people trying to define God, but God is who he says he is. And God will do what he says he will do. He is God, most high, and the creator and sustainer of all things. When I say sovereign, it means that God possesses all power and is the ruler of all things. God rules and works according to his eternal purpose, not ours, even through events that seem to conflict or oppose his rule. As Billy shared last week about not understanding, the prophet was trying to, trying to understand how God could use a wicked nation to, uh, to judge his people and trying to figure that out. And we don't have all the answers, but God is sovereign. And to understand what God values, we must value, and what God abhors, we must abhor. We have to understand the ways of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the text talks about how God brought his people out of Egypt and uh, brought them, and yet he was not pleased with them. And many of them died. And the Bible says these things were written to teach us, to instruct us as examples to us, that we should not be idolaters, in verse 7, as some did were. And uh, that we should not put Christ to the test, verse 9, as some of them did. And that we should not uh, grumble, as some of them did. The Bible says in verse 11, now these things happen to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. The word of God gives us instruction and corrects our way. It shows us the path that we're to, we're to walk in. In fact, we have to understand that, we, that God's ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55 said God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we have to understand God's ways. And then to actively accept the call as ambassadors means that each and every one of you and I, we have a calling on our lives. And that calling is to be kingdom ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors. This is not our home. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he has assigned us, wherever he has planted us. And we are here to represent him and to glorify him. And so how we serve, how we live, how we conduct our lives, especially out in the world, into the workplace, it needs to represent and glorify the Lord. Whatever we eat or drink or whatever we do, 
We do all to the glory of God to accept that call. Now, my brother shared some really great truths about background, and I'm not going to try to repeat any of that. But I do want to talk about Hezekiah because this will give us a little context of of what led up to God dealing with Babylon. Hezekiah was a great king. And you can see Israel's history when there was a godly king, it, 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 it produced a godly people. The Bible says when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. And so leadership is important. That's why we need to lean into leadership, whether we're leading in our families, in our homes, in our companies, in, our, in wherever God has led us, wherever God has assigned us. And Hezekiah was a great king, but there came a time that uh, he became sick. And his sickness was unto death. And the prophet came in and said, set your house in order. Your days are numbered. You're going to die. And the Bible says he turned himself, and this is 2 Kings 20, he turned his face towards God. And he began to cry out to God. And God spoke to the prophet, said, go back and tell him that I have heard your cries. I have seen your tears and I will add to your life. And that's an encouraging word to us that whatever you are or whatever's going on in your life, whatever season, we have different seasons of our lives. And whatever season you're in, if you're at a place and you're crying out to God, the Bible says God hears our cries and he hears your cries today. Maybe you're having concern about your family. Maybe you're looking at things happening in your profession or your career. God hears your cry. And he heard Hezekiah's cry. He heard his. And he added to his life. Now, later on, the people of Babylon, a king of Babylon, and at that time, Babylon wasn't really a, a power that they were later on, as the prophet Habakkuk talked about. But uh, they heard he had been sick, and they brought gifts and uh, Isaiah wanted to know, who were those men? He said, oh, they were, they were from a far country, Babylon. And he said, well, what did you, what did you show? I showed him everything. And, you know, I, I think Hezekiah was kind of showing off a little bit. Have you ever shown off? I have <laughs> at different times. But he, he said, I showed him everything. Showed him all my wealth, all of my achievements, all the storage of my house. I showed him everything. And then the prophet said this. In fact, he said, there's nothing in the house that I did not show them. And in verse 16 of of chapter 20, verse 17, behold, the days are coming, this is Isaiah speaking, when all that is in your house and that you have fathered, which your fathers have stored up to this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. Now, you know, hearing something like that about your children, hearing something like that about your family, you would have thought that Hezekiah would have turned around and started praying again. But the Bible says, and and I'll paraphrase it, I'm glad that's not happening in my lifetime. I'm glad it's not going to happen when I'm alive. I don't think that's the attitude we should have. And uh, 
He lived another 15 years, like God said. And when he died, his son, who was 12, so think about this. This son, who was Manasseh, would have never been born had Hezekiah died. And did God know? Didn't God know that Manasseh would be born? And yet Manasseh was the most wicked king. He, he had a reign for 55 years, and it was because of his sin that God was angry with Israel, or, or Judah, that is, and that God said, I'm going to put you out of my sight. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 23 says, Moreover, talks about Joash, but then later on, verse 26, he says, uh, Because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked, of all the provocations provoked, of which Manasseh has provoked him, the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight. And I have removed Israel. I have removed Israel as I have, because Israel had been taken off earlier by the Assyrians because of the sin of Jeroboam, who made Israel the sin, and you see that expression quite often. And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, and Jerusalem and the house of which I said shall be my name. And later on, we see in 2 Kings chapter 24, surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of my sight for the sins of, of, of Manasseh, according to all that he had done and for the innocent blood. So this was the most wicked king who was the son of Hezekiah. God said, I'm going to remove him. You know, I don't know about you. I've had times in my children growing up. I said, you know, I'm mad at you. I don't want to see you for a couple of hours. But I'm just talking a couple of hours. When God put his people away, it was for 70 years. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite a bit there. God's judgment came against Judah. And God said that through the prophet Jeremiah. And then he said this, and this is uh, Jeremiah 25. And uh, starts at verse 11. I won't read the whole thing, but... Verse 9 says, Behold, I will send for I will send for all of the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and notice he says, my servant. And I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror. And he just goes on and on about the judgment. And verse 11 says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And this nation shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Remember, it's because of that king. 70 years, 70 years. He called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. And then later on, he said that I'm going to judge Babylon for what they've done. And again, wait a minute. God, he did exactly what you called him to do. Now you're going to judge him. You know, uh, Romans chapter 9 talks about that. He said to Pharaoh, I've raised you up for this purpose, to make my power known. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. And we can try to ask questions, but he's God. When I was growing up, they say he's God all by himself. He's God all by himself. So let's talk about the five woes. The meaning of woe, 
The whole passage, starting at verse 6, is a fivefold ton of song. Fivefold ton in a song. Delivered by the nations against the Babylonians. Each woe or mocking statement, it is a mocking statement, consists of three verses. These verses describe only, not only the specific and habitual crime, because Babylon committed crimes of the Babylonians, but they are appropriate punishment as well. And so let's look at the first woe. In verse 6, shall not all these take up the tongue against him with the scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pleasures? Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awoke, awake who make who will make you tremble, then you will be sparrow for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence of the earth and the cities and all who dwell. So I'm going to talk about the sin. I'm going to talk about the judgment. And then I'm going to talk about a kingdom ambassador challenge. So I want to give you some challenges today. So the sin, he said, woe to the plunderers and extortioners. So Babylon plundered and vanquished nations and forced them to pay tribute. They forced them to pay tribute. They're, the nations have been they conquered and they ill-treated by the Babylonians. The people were eager to wait on God. They would heap up possessions. This is Babylon of, order, of others in order to carry them to their own homes. The Babylons were weighed down by a multitude of worldly possessions and by the sin they committed to and required of them. And we see those things happen today. The judgment was, God says, the very things that you've done, I'm going to overthrow you. Babylon sees these debtors and mercifully exact payment from them and these tormentors. But God said, the former victims of you, they're going to come back and do the same thing to you. In fact, the Medes and the Persians did the exact same to the Babylonians that the Babylonians had done to them. Today, the site of Babylon is a desolate waste with caves and holes. It was a great city, and yet it's a place of waste and ruins occupied only by wild animals, jackals. God's judgment fell upon Babylon. Again, when we hear what God was judging them for. We need to abhor what God abhors. We need to value what God values. So that speaks to us today. What's our challenge today? As kingdom ambassadors in the workplace, God has called us to walk in integrity in all of our business transactions, in all of our affairs, and we must seek to right the wrongs we see in the workplace and in the marketplace. We have a role and a responsibility that God has given us as agents of the kingdom of God. The second woe in verse 9 says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, who sets his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many people. You have forfeited your life for the stone will crowd from the wall. And the beam from the woodwork respond. I was thinking about when uh, Cain killed Abel. The Bible says his blood cried up, cried out to God. God said, even the walls are going to cry out for what you've done. 
So the woe is to those who build an empire by unjust gain. They built an empire, but they did it unjustly. Babylon has built their empire with the wealth unjustly taken from other nations. They exploited people. They dominated people. They deliberately condemned people for their personal gain. These things are happening today. And this is what Babylon did. Woe to the guilty tyrant. They were tyrants and they were unjust. Unjust gain depicts sinful covetousness. So they were driven by covetousness. Plundering, the, plundering of the Babylonians. So these are things. They built their kingdom with the spoils of conquered nations. So what's God's judgment? In fact, they elevated themselves and thought they were higher than God. And God's judgment was that this. You plotted, ruined, or rather cut off and annihilated many people. And because of this, I am going to bring you to shame. I am going to bring you to ruin. I'm going to bring you to ruin. So what's our challenge? Our challenge is to seek to redeem our companies, our industries, and our products aligned with kingdom values that lead to human flourishing. God wants humans to flourish. And when we lead and we're part of industries and part of companies and products and services, we need to make sure that happens. The third woe, woe to him, verses 12, who builds his town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the lords of hosts that people labor merely for fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We'll come back to that particular verse a little bit later. So the woe was against violence. They built a city with bloodshed and they established crowns, their, their towns with crime. They built these huge buildings and, and, and cemented them together with the blood of innocent victims. So they built it off of the back of others. Murder, cruelty, oppression, tyranny of every kind. The foundation stones of which Babylon Empire society was built was built with the blood of other people. And yet God said, his judgment, I'm going to bring total destruction to you. You construct your cities and your empires and you promote it yourself. Self-promotion and being powerful or important is pointless for both the effort and the achievement possessed will have no lasting value. Such a kingdom are built only to be consumed by fire. So what's our challenge? Our challenge is the ends do not justify the means. Glorifying yourself will end in ruin and destruction. Therefore, examine everything you do. And I use the term from seed to skin, which is a biblical term. In other words, all the days of of separation, he will eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, and this is what seed the skin means. But the point is that you're to examine everything that you do and all must glorify God. Sometimes people are making money or they're profiting or they're, they're doing things and they think maybe I'm gonna use this for good. That doesn't justify 
The ends does not justify the means. Number four, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out of your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourselves and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's hand will come around you and utter shame will come to you. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and the violence to the earth and the cities to all who dwell in. Woe to the violent and those who would degrade others. So Babylonians would degrade other nations and treat them violently and shamefully. Those days they would bring people in and, and strip them naked and disgrace them and gloat over their victory. And they would make these nations drunk in that sense. They would subdue them and oppress people. They were malicious. They were criminal and they, were, they would have them strip them naked. And so the judgment is, God says, I'm, just as you've disgraced others, I'm going to disgrace you. I'm going to disgrace you. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. This is a picture of Babylon as an object of horror and ridicule. And God said, I will disgrace you. I will disgrace you for what you've done. So the challenge for us is to seek social justice, to find ways to rescue and restore lives where we have influence. You think about this, this uh, the city. The sex trafficking industry right here is $140 billion in the world today. And uh, lives are being devastated. And so we should seek social justice, find ways to rescue, restore lives where we have influence, even if there's no personal benefit. Practice excellence and stewardship. So they would also rape the land. This is what the king would do. Rape the land and destroy the animals. We need to practice excellence and stewardship of the resources that God has given us. Finally, the fifth woe, what profit of an idol is an idol and what makes maker has shaped it and the, and, and the metal image and the teacher of lies. For the maker trusts in his own creation and he makes speeches idols. Woe to him who says to the wooden thing awake and to the silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth keeps silent. So the woe is to those who trust in false gods. Babylonians' false god could not save them, and you and I, we must not see what we do as our identity. There's no help, no guidance when we trust in ourselves. And sometimes we can make ourselves or our position or our status, our education, our companies, our idols. We need to live as new creations. And here's the challenge. Live as new creations in Christ, knowing that your identity is not in your position, your social status, your material gain. Therefore, worship God through your work, through your craft, through your God-given talents. And put your trust in God have no other gods before him. I want to talk about just for a moment, and this kind of brings it together because here's a man, his name is William Wilberforce. 
And there was an article called The Shrimp, The Shrimp Who Stopped Slavery. One person can make a difference. He called it the most malignant evil of the British Empire ceased largely. It ceased largely because of the faith and persistence of William Wilberforce. He was born in 1759. He was a politician, a philanthropist, and he was the leader of the movement to abolish the slave trade. He saw these things happen as he was in the parliament and he was, he, he come to Christ and he was grieved of what he saw. And he considered to withdraw, to come out of that area. And a lot of people, you may be in an area where there's ungodly people or ungodly things happening, things that don't honor God. And there's a temptation to pull out. You know, I'm the only Christian here. And he was considering to pull out. And he talked to, he talked to some friends about it. And they said, no, God has called you to that area. You need to stay in that, as, you need to stay in politics. And you need to make a difference because God has raised you up for such a time as this. And when you were before said this, God Almighty, he accepted his life's mission. God Almighty has set before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of manners. The slave trade was a 17, at 1700, involved thousands of slaves, hundreds of ships, millions of pounds, upon which depend the, economic, the economies of Britain and much of Europe. And this man, God gave him a task. It was a very difficult task. It was a very, it cost him greatly. And finally, when the laws were passed to stop the slave trade in that area, he died after a few days after that. He was considering withdrawing, but God used him. God used him. And God wants to use you and I. He had a sense of his vocation, and he realized that his position that God had given him, he said, and I quote, that, that I will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ of how I'm living and what I'm doing with the position that I have. It is right that William, that Wilberforce is remembered in the church. He was a churchman through and through, but the places where his portrait hangs in Cambridge are in their own ways, also fitting. His walk was indeed in the world, but not of the world. Not of the world. Now, find a word to you. And I want to call you kingdom ambassadors because that's what I see. That's what you are. Back in chapter 2, verse 14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that speaks to us in a very, very special way. At the time that God spoke this through the prophet, they were going to see devastation. They were going to see their families, their property, their lives completely destroyed. Imagine that. Sometimes it's good to put yourself in the place of what would that be like for you and I if we saw if everything we had was taken from us, if people around us were dying, and they saw this. And God said this, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No matter what you see, he says, no matter what you're experiencing, my glory will be seen. And that's a word to you and I. 
No matter where you're at in your life today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what challenges you face, whatever season of life you're in, God's going to get the glory out of your lives. And he will be glorified. We were talking that's wonderful song. Let Christ be glorified. And Christ will be glorified in your life. And he will get the glory. Maybe we're, we see things that are going on in the world and we're afraid, we're concerned for our children, we're concerned for things. But know this, the earth will be filled. That's to come. That's something that happened in, in, the, in the future when Christ comes. But it's also a word for us today. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Praise God. And then the other scripture that I want to give reference to, it was right there. And, and let me say one more thing about this. So you imagine that when Satan had tried to tempt Jesus and Jesus defeated him every time and he would go back to try to regroup for a season. And finally, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, I imagine the enemy thought that he had won. That we finally, we finally defeated him. And Jesus is his, his, his prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken him? But little did he know that that hanging on the cross was the beginning of the glory of God. Little did he realize that God was using the cross to bring you and I into his great kingdom, to open the way to salvation. So God will take the very things that you and I are dealing with, going through the pain, the scars. And I'm going to speak just for a minute to our older, older senior people here today. You're at a time in your life that all the scars and all the challenges that you have, God wants to use that for his glory to make a difference in the next generation. And God used his son who came out of the grave and today you and I our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before them. Nebuchadnezzar knew he was God's servant, and yet Nebuchadnezzar was so arrogant in fact, he said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, is this not the great Babylon which I built by my might, my power as royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? When God heard that, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. And for seven years, he had lost his mind. Daniel was there, of course, probably running things those seven years. And after he, he his uh, his mind return, and hear, hear what this Gentile king said about God. We're talking about the Lord is in his holy temple and all the earth keeps silence before him. Nebuchadnezzar said this, verse 35, all the habitants of the earth are counted as nothing and does, not, does according to his will, according to the host of heaven and among the habitants of the earth, and none can say to his hand, what have you done? And he talked about how he was returned and his nobles returned everything to him. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, this is a Gentile king that had been humbled. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the king of heaven for all the works are right, his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he will humble. This man recognized 
God's judgment and God's power and God's authority. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You might be in an environment where there's such arrogance and such disrespect for God, but understand the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You and I are the temple of the living God and God dwells inside of you and where you go, God goes. And the lives that you can impact, God has called you to greatness, to do great things for his kingdom, to see people's lives restored. And God wants to use you right where you are. So don't run and don't back up, but press into what God Almighty has called you to do. Understand God's sovereign work in and through his people in the past today. Understand what God values, we must value. What he abhors, we must abhor. Understand that we actively accept the call as ambassadors. So therefore, we must submit and entrust our lives to a sovereign God. Value what God values. Abhor what God abhors. Actively and intentionally accept the call on our lives as ambassadors. Our calling is to expand the impact and influence of the kingdom of God where we have influence through the agency of our divine helper, the Holy Spirit, every day of our lives in the space and in the place that God has called you. In the place and in the space that God Almighty has called you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And Lord, I thank you today that we are, we are your people and we are challenged to serve you and to live for you and to honor you and to make a difference in the place and the space that you called us. We live in a Babylon today, but Lord, we're your people. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.